Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Tomorrow's Tune-In Podcast. This is episode number seven for the month of April 2008. I'm your host, Chris Marshall, and i got a great show for you today. I actually have a nice interview with Danny Fingeroth. We are going to go in-depth into his life and career, and he has actually two magazines coming out in the month of April, and that includes Right Now, number 18, and also a Best of Right Now trade paperback, which is really fun, and we'll go into that a little bit later on in the show, and also talk about the New York Comic Con coming up, which tomorrow's will be at in full force. But before I get to the interview, let's take a look at what else is coming out this month in April. We have Rough Stuff number 8, and of course, Rough Stuff is the magazine that celebrates the art of creating comics. Rough Stuff number 8 presents more amazing looks into the creative process of comic art with interviews, articles, never-before-seen penciled pages, sketches, layouts, roughs, and unused ink pages from throughout comics history plus critiques of newcomers' work, and more. This issue features an in-depth interview and cover painting by Mike Mayhew. Also in number eight, we present preliminary and unpublished art by Alex Horley, Tony DeZunga, Nick Carty, and Raphael Kayayan, as each artist offers commentary explaining how their work evolves into its finished form. Plus, Dominique Leonard spotlights the great Belgian comic book artist, and Mike Murdoch goes under the knife for a Rough Stuff critique of his work and more, edited by pro artist Bob McLeod. But that's not all coming out in April. The other publication, which is we're really most proud of, and it's actually going to be out April 18th, just in time for its debut at the New York Comic Con, we have celebrating 50 years of the King of Comics, the Jack Kirby Kirby 5.0. That's right, this is the 50th Jack Kirby Collector, and it's going to be an oversized 168-page trade paperback. And I know I mentioned it last month, but it's worth mentioning again. This is going to be a special look at the best of everything from Jack Kirby's 50-year career in comics. The regular columnists from the Jack Kirby Collector magazine have formed a distinguished panel of experts to choose and examine, including... The best Kirby story published from each year from 1938 through 1987. The best covers from each decade. Jack's 50 best unused pieces of art. His 50 best character designs and profiles of and commentary by the 50 people most influenced by Jack Kirby's work. Plus there's a 50-page gallery of Kirby's powerful raw pencil art and a deluxe color section of photos and finished art from throughout his entire half-century career. It's a tabloid-sized trade paperback featuring previously unseen Kirby Superman cover inked by DC New Frontier artist Darwin Cook and an introduction by Mark Evan Year, who incidentally is hosting the panel, the Jack Kirby panel at the New York Comic Con. A percentage of the profits will be donated to the Jack Kirby Museum and Research Center. If you are even remotely interested in comic books, and I know you are, you really ought to pick this book up when it comes out on April 18th. And speaking of the panels at the New York Comic Con, the Tomorrow's panel, which is going to be hosted by John Morrow, and you'll hear in the interview that uh, I misspoke, but it is going to be hosted by John Morrow, and Mark Evanier is going to be hosting the Kirby panel. I kind of got those two crossed up. Anyway, the Tomorrow's panel will be on Sunday, April 20th at 1 o'clock, 
and the tribute panel for Jack Kirby that's hosted by Mark Evanier. John Morrow will be on that panel as well. And I don't have a date or time for that, but uh, check the New York Comic Con webpage, and I'm sure it'll all be posted up there. So without further ado, let's get to the interview I did with Danny Fingeroth of Right Now magazine. Started working at Marvel in 1977 uh, as uh, Larry Levitt's assistant. You know, Larry is Stan sure. Lee's brother, and Larry wrote many of the uh, early Marvel books, and same for the Rawhide Kid, and is currently the artist on the Spider-Man newspaper strip. Um, but back then we were essentially uh, doing a little new material on Captain Britain and some stuff like that, and mostly a Reaper material, chopping stuff up into uh, chapters for... Um, uh, to compete in that British market, which um, uh, was composed largely of magazines with multiple features, uh, each of like five or six pages. So I, I spent a lot of time, you know, kind of uh, figuring out where the dramatic breaks in all these uh, older Marvel stories were, which was a good training as far as learning story structure as well as catching up on a continuity because I was uh, not someone who read comics all the way through. I'd quit them when I was a teenager and then came back to them, you know, just about the time I came to work at Marvel, which I thought would be, you know, a uh, fun thing to do for a few months while I figured out what I was going to do. And, um, you know, it turned out to be a very good fit there, and I enjoyed working in comics a lot and the people there. And um, I kind of, um, you know, moved through the editorial ranks there, and also did a lot of writing. Uh, you may recall uh, Dazzler and Darkhawk and Debbie mm-hmm. Foes of Spider-Man. You know, I, and uh, eventually I became the editor of the Spider-Man line two different times, actually, in the 80s and then uh, again in the 90s. Um, in between, I had a uh, freelance existence when I wrote Cyforce and uh, freelance edited the Marvel Saga. That's, uh, then I left Marvel to go work for a guy named Byron Price um, in the mid-90s. And uh, I helped uh, pioneer uh, Internet Comics with him in something called Virtual Comics. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, with some gaps, went on to uh, run uh, the story and development uh, division of a company called Visionary Media, whose most famous product was World Girl, which you might have seen on Showtime. Mm-hmm. And on Showtime's website, um, and those are those are some of the highlights. So, um, um, and then we get to the uh, right now period of my life, which um, you know, Visionary Media was a wonderful company and uh, had terrific people, but it did uh, get caught in the internet undertow of the year 2000 uh, when the uh, when the uh, bubble burst mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, I needed to figure out what to do next, and I saw that the Tomorrows, which had uh, was doing the Jack Kirby Collector, which was a magazine that I loved. Also, I saw they were putting out a magazine called Draw, which was edited by my former partner on uh, Dark Horse Comics, uh, Mike Manley. And um, I didn't need a house to fall on me. I immediately said, "Gee whiz, uh, they're putting out a drawing magazine, perhaps." They'd be interested in a writing magazine, mm-hmm. since um, I had spent, you know, all those years as a writer and editor, and really studying what makes a comic book uh, and and other, you know, as well as movies and TV shows tick. So I 
called up John. I think I, I, don't, I don't remember if I emailed or called, uh, but I called him, and it turned out he was actually been thinking along similar lines, and thus was born Danny Kangaroos Right Now magazine. So, so tell me about your magazine. What do you help like new writers or aspiring writers or current writers in their medium? What can we expect from from Right Now magazine? Right now, the mission, really, if I may use such a pretentious term, mm-hmm. is to uh, serve the whole uh, community of uh, comics writers as well as animation and science fiction and other uh, genre writers outside of comics. But we definitely focus on comics. Um, you know, uh, much of it devoted to the... Uh, you know, what's called the mainstream of Marvel and DC, but a lot of it devoted to independent stuff and web comics and um, sort of the, uh, and then the uh, indie comics. You know, so my my goal is that it be a magazine that would be of use to all those communities, to um, to establish professionals, to people who want to be professionals, to people who want to just know how to make uh, comics, and to people who are just interested in the process and may not even have any desire and in making their own comics, but want to see uh, what goes on under the hood, so that um, um, the articles in the magazine are geared um, in a very how-to way, so that even if I'm interviewing someone like Stan Lee or Will Eisner, which I've done, or or uh, or Paul Levitz or uh, Jeff Johns or or um, or even had an interview with Tim Kring of the uh, Heroes TV show. Mm-hmm. My interviews, while they touch on what was your past like and, uh, you know, tell me uh, wacky stories about your coworkers, you know, I leave that kind of uh, personal stuff for the most part, although, of course, you can't avoid it, but I try to leave that for alter ego and the back issue uh you know those great uh, tomorrow's publications that that uh, are more about that i fo- i feel that my mission is to be more of a trade magazine of a how to and uh, you know and and that that has two aspects so it's how to write a comic how do you format a script how do you create a suspense you know what does a professional script look like how does that script get translated into pictures and, um, you know, because we have a lot of original reproductions of original pencil art in there, um, you know, sort of an extra bonus for people, and also to see really the, the part of the process where somebody's, you know, to me that was always the most exciting thing of being in comics was the day that the artwork arrived, and you'd sort of see what had been a bunch of uh, words on paper suddenly, you know, on its way to becoming a comic. That was, that was the most magical part of the process. You know, and then the other part of the how-to is how do you break through that barrier and become a professional? You know, I mean, I and so there are a lot of interviews in right now, and the interviews are really lessons in disguise. You know, um, because when through these people telling you how they did what they did and how they became somebody you want to read about, uh, obviously you cannot do exactly what they did uh, for all the uh, obvious reasons. But you can learn from them, and how did they take, you know, what seemed like an obstacle and make it into an asset? How did they deal with rejection? How did they, you know, use uh, somebody in their Rolodex, um, 
to get their foot inside of a door. And really, almost everybody, if you go through six degrees of separation, knows somebody who knows somebody, can at least get you in a door for an informational uh, meeting somewhere. Um, so those things that, that really, I think, seem the hardest to outsiders, like how do I break through that, you know, invisible wall and and become on the inside. That's the and I find that's always the hardest thing for uh, the people I'm interviewing to remember. You know, they always just sort of say. So then I said to uh, Joe Cazada, "Yeah, but how did you meet Joe Cazada?" <laughs> well, I was having lunch with him and uh, um, you know some other uh, comic editor. Well, yeah, but how did you meet that? And I really have to force people to backtrack. You know, to see what's that one break, what's that one thing, you know, um, that got them through. So, uh, so I think right now it's valuable for that, as well as, as I say, for actual hands-on lessons in writing given by uh, some of the top writers in, in comics. How is writing a comic book similar uh, to, like, writing a, a movie script than it would be for, like, somebody to write a novel? I would say writing comic books is more like writing radio drama. I mean, obviously, the people love to say that they're movies on paper, but I think that is a a sort of a good sound bite to say if somebody is giving an interview to a non-comics uh, uh, paper or, or a podcast. But I think what I've seen results in the worst comic book writing is when people think they are writing movies. Because mm-hmm. on the continuum between... You know, if uh, all the way on uh, one end of, of, of the like, continuum of media, we have print, you know, it's novels and short stories. And on the other hand, we have movies and TV shows. Comics are in the middle, but I think they have more in common with prose, the way you experience them. Right? You read a comic, and there's no movement, there's no sound. If you and I go to a two-hour movie, it's the exact same two-hour experience for us. Mm-hmm. If you and I read a 22-page comic, it might take you five minutes and me 20 minutes to read it for whatever reasons. I might, you know, I might linger on a panel. I might get confused and go back and read something over. I might skip ahead to the end. I, you know, I might uh, stop to make a phone call. You know, whatever it is, it it's very much more like that the one-on-one personalized experience of, of reading a book, you know, of course it is a visual medium, but it's a visual medium where you create the motion in your head. If you like look at a comic book, it's really just a series of snapshots and still pictures. Mm-hmm. And it's not even a storyboard. I mean, it, it, you know, it's something like a storyboard. So I, w- I would say that, um, you know, the reason I say radio drama is because I think that deals with your imagination in a similar way. You know, and I think if you can think in pictures that way and sort of describe your script for uh, the artist the way you would um, create a world for an audience in a radio drama, um, I think you're ahead of the game. And also, I think, you know, I'm a true believer in time for money, especially what comics cost now. If you can read a comic in a minute and a half, Somebody's getting, you know, going to feel they're ripped off. It could be the most beautiful art in the world, and the most expensive shiny paper, and the most subtle, delicate printing process, you know. And the book could be bound beautifully, but if you read it in two minutes, who cares? You know. So I, I feel that a comic book is a book. You know, there's always exceptions. I mean, obviously, we've all read brilliant things that are silent, or brilliant things that are very short on words. But 
you know, as a basic transaction of time for money with an entertainment consumer, you know, I feel that you should have good words and not redundant words. But I, I feel you, you know, I feel it's a, it's a medium of words and pictures. Let's move ahead to the spring issue of right now, which is issue number 18, and it's all about Stan Lee and his career through, you say here, the 1930s right through the 1960s and up to today in 2008. Right. Tell me a little bit about the spring issue here. Well, it's funny. The spring issue is really kind of the exception to everything I've just said. Um, <laughs> because, you know, Stan, uh, you know, was a special uh, case, you know, in the, in the industry and in general. He's probably the best-known individual ever to do comics. You know, I, I'd say if any non-comics reader knows any comics creator, uh, you know, it's probably Stan way ahead of the pack. And he's been at it, you know, since he was uh, 16 or 17, and he just turned 85 back in December. Uh, so this issue is more... I wouldn't say nostalgia, although certainly there's some of that, but it's more looking back than a typical issue of right now is, you know, um, whereas I always ask people about their current, you know, how they got where they are and then what they're doing now. And this issue, it's, I've talked to people from all the different eras of, uh, of comics, the golden age and the silver age and the ages that have no name and the modern age and, and I've gotten stuff from the Stanley Archives, which are at the University uh, of Wyoming in Cheyenne. And I've talked to just everybody, Joe Sinnott and uh, Dick Ayers and uh, Larry Lieber and um, Todd McFarlane and Dan DiDio and, um, uh, who, you know, Clifford so, Matt. Yeah, the list goes on, right. The list goes on and on of... Uh, you know, of uh, Al Jaffe, uh, you know, I mean, you know, who Al is also in his 80s and, you know, he's up for a Rubin Award now, you know, he's still working in Vital. I spoke to Jim Mooney, who unfortunately just passed away a few days ago. You know, I've just, uh, I tried to find, and here's what I tried to find out, and this was really what I, where I dug deep, and I thought it would be useful, you know. I mean, everybody, of course, uh, had, you know, great things to say about Stan and what a good friend he was and a great editor and what a creative guy and how he changed the business. And that's all, of course, true. Um, but I wanted to really find out, you know, so you went in for a story meeting with Stan. What was that like? You got a script from Stan. What did it look like? You know, um, what instructions did he give you? What did you learn from him? What was the atmosphere like? You know, I re you know at, at all the different eras, I really wanted to just get a sense of literally the nuts and bolts. That's stuff people don't usually talk about. Usually uh, when you interview um, artists or writers or editors who work with Stan, you know, uh, they will give you a more general kind of impressionistic thing. And I really, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, frustrating sometimes for me and I'm sure for the interview subjects, I'd be asking them details about things that happened 60 years ago. You know, what color paper was the script on? <laughs> you know? <laughs> But I thought it was an angle that hadn't been taken before, and I thought, uh, I'm curious about it. And I bet there are other people who are curious, uh, too, you know, to, to really know what, what, a, what a meeting with Stan was like, what a day at the Marvel bullpen was like, um, you know, in a real, you know, not in a kind of overly romanticized, oh, it was the best of times, and uh, we were young and, uh, and carefree, you know, but really, you know, um, would he make you redraw a panel? Uh, 
you know, what advice uh, did he give you for the next issue? You know, all that kind of stuff. So that's really the focus. And I and I also emphasize, um, you know, there's stuff in it from all the different years of Stan's career up to the present because he's a guy who never stops. I mean, he's as busy now as he was, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I find that inspirational and uh, rather remarkable. So there's, so there's also script and uh, plot and art from over the years of all his career. So it's, um, so it's, it, you know, my aim is for it to be just uh, what I set out to do a, a, um, a tribute uh, to Stan. And it's, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, I think it's coming out uh, in a really fascinating manner, and, uh, and I think people will. Uh, we'll get a big kick out of it and learn a lot, you know, not just about this one guy, Stan Lee, but about how comics have evolved and how instrumental he was in their uh, evolution over the years. Well, Danny, you left the door open, so I have to ask you about your personal story with Stan Lee. Do you have anything like a first impression when you first met him or a funny personal story or maybe something very serious that you and yeah. Stan had a discussion about? You know, I, I have a couple of uh, stories that, um, you know, that uh, one sort of uh, uh, more serious and, and one uh, that's kind of funnier. Back in, I think it was uh, 1984, he was uh, writing uh, the Spider-Man annual, one of the Spider-Man annuals that year, the one where uh, Jonah Jameson gets married mm-hmm. and Spider-Man fights the Scorpion. And I was his editor, which seemed really kind of, surreal to say the least but i was young enough at it and new enough at it that i you know that i was you know i felt i did actually have to edit it the way i would uh i can't tell like any other script it was still a script from stan but there were definitely points where i had questions or concerns that were really more technical than you know um then about his use of language, it would have to be like, well, gee, Spider-Man's commenting on this thing, but he didn't really see it, so how, you know, just, uh, you know, storytelling stuff like that that 99% of the readers wouldn't even notice, but I uh, thought I should. I was, I was at that point, you know, just really impressed that he was probably the most professional writer I ever dealt with, you know, he, uh, had a real respect and regard uh, for the editor's role, so that if he disagreed with me, he'd make his case. But if he couldn't convince me, he would go with my change, or they usually, we'd, you know, we'd compromise on whatever it was. If he agreed with me, he would really thank me for making it better. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, no raised voices, no egos, and there weren't that many. You know, there weren't that many changes like that either. You know, they may have been like four or five in a whole whatever thirty-page script. You know, so I I was always impressed with. Uh, the fact that he took that he took the work seriously, that he took me seriously, and that he was so professional about it. Needless to say, the work was in on time. Usually, uh, with Stan, um, if he agrees to do something, and you know, you give him uh, whatever. Stan, I need this in uh, in two weeks. So go, well, I'll try. And then, of course, three hours later, you open up your email box and it's there. You know. Which is not that he's not busy with a thousand things, it's that he's one of those people who if he doesn't get it done, it sort of itches at the back of his neck and he just like, you know, he wants, he just wants to get it done so it's, it's off his list of, of things to do. So that's always remarkable. The funny story about him that I, that happened fairly recently, uh, last year there was a, um, 
Stanley uh, retrospective exhibit at the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art here in New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a big fundraising party uh, on the opening night. And um, uh, I was invited to it because I actually had a couple of pieces of art um, from the 60s that Stan had scripted. Um, and so I loaned them to the uh, museum for the exhibit, and they were nicely framed. And uh, Stan came, and again, after having spent the day at the New York Con and probably being a little jet-lagged, uh, instead of just ducking his head in for five minutes and saying, oh, thanks for coming to my party, everybody, uh, see you later, he stuck around for the, like two or three hours, took everybody on a guided tour of every single piece in the exhibit at which he stopped and made comments, and then uh, at one point, he um, stopped at um, the art that uh, I had loaned him, and he uh, looks at it, and he reads the card, and it says, uh, on loan from the collection of Danny Fingeroth. And he looks at me and says, on loan? You couldn't give it to them? <laughs> of course, you know, so there I am with the whole thing videotape for posterity, and uh I looked at him and I said, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> it was like my most embarrassing moment of my life. <laughs> but I was, you know, it was, it was, it was, you know, in retrospect, it was a lot of fun. It was a really, you know, a very funny Stan line, you know, and I'd, I'd love to go back and re-edit that history. But on the other hand, uh, it makes a pretty funny story just how tongue-tied I was. But that was, you know, it was completely good-natured on his part and just hilarious. You know, so that was... That's that that's one of my favorite uh uh you know, recent uh, Stanley moments. You know, just the fact that he's also he's done forwards for uh uh my book Superman on the Couch, uh and also for Disguise as Clark Kent, which are two books about comics that uh are about superheroes and their evolutions that I've written, although uh, for both of them for a company called Continuum Publishing. Those are some of my favorite Stan stories. And he also he wrote the forward to bring it full circle. He, you know, not only was he interviewed in, but he wrote the forward for the best of right now uh, mm -hmm. trade paperback that's coming out this month. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Uh, what can we expect? Is it like a? It's only 160 pages. So is it like? Only. Of, of, <laughs> yeah. But how many did, does it go into? What what issue does it go up to? Like issue 15 or? It goes up to issue. Um, let me see. Well, the McFarlane. I guess it goes up to issue sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. Sixteen. Yeah. You know, I really did try to make it the best of right now, including it's got the cover is a larger version of the cover to number one, which was uh, penciled and inked by Mark Bagley mm -hmm. of Spider-Man and uh, Ultimate Spider-Man and the New Warriors, and he's got a new project at DC. But Mark's an old buddy, and we've worked together. Uh, for years, and he drew the picture of uh, Shakespeare and Da Vinci uh, working on their little-known collaboration of, uh, of a Mona Warrior Princess. <laughs> you know, so that uh, he did a so we used that for the cover, and and then uh, I've got uh, some you know the magazine started in 2002, so from over the past five or six years, I've got. Um, uh, I'll just read me a list of the things, and you'll get an idea. It's got an interview with Brian Bendis, with James Straczynski, Jeff Loeb, Todd McFarlane, Paul Levitz, Jeff Johns, Mark Wade, Stan Lee, Will Eisner, who I had a wonderful interview uh, with uh, back uh, in 2003. In our nuts and bolts section, 
we've got script and art uh, from uh, Marvel Civil War, number one, Spawn, 52, some Ultimate Spider-Man pages by Begley and Bendis from Batman Hush by uh, Loeb and Lee, um, Amazing Spider-Man by Straczynski and Garney, X-Men by Brubaker and Billy Tan. We have Dennis O'Neill's writing notes from his uh, famous uh, writing uh, classes. Um, and then there's articles about writing in the writer's life by Stephen Grant and John Ostrander and Andy Schmidt and Joey Cavalieri and by myself. The thing that I wrote is the uh, an article about top ten tips for writers that um, that came from the Free Comic Book Day uh, uh, number one uh, tomorrow's issue uh, a couple years ago. Um, and then I just have some shorter form professional secrets from Stan and from Neil Gaiman and Kurt Busiek, um, and Tom DeFalco, Jam DeMattis, Trina Robbins, Bruce Jones, Jimmy Pamiotti, Mike Carlin. Uh, so you can see there's a, there's, a, there's a wide array of stuff, and it ranges from interviews, which, as I said, are just lessons in disguise with these, with these uh, incredible people, as well as actual lessons like Ostrander on uh, talking about uh, structure in the story and... Uh, Joey Cavalieri talking about how to deal with the uh, writer's block. And then we've got the actual, you know, plots and scripts and pencils and inks, artwork from stories and how they became stories. Because the thing you asked me before about uh, comics like movies or, mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or books, and I mean, uh, just in terms of format, for better or worse, there's no one comic book format. If you if you go to write a screenplay, there's a software that gives you a format. If you go to write a teleplay, you know there's there's a format there. And there's comics, you know, there's comic software also, but only something that whoever did the software felt uh, worked or or uh, or that they uh, or that that they could uh, understand themselves. Because there is no one format. I mean, aside from the fact that there's the two main, you know, there's Marvel style and full script. You know, which Marvel style is the plot first method made famous by you know Lee and Kirby and Lee and Ditko, and then full script is what it sounds like, where the writer describes every panel and then also writes the dialogue and captions and sound effects. But no two writers do it the same, and so uh, I try to show the variety of. Um, of script formats in comics. Now, you'll also be at the New York Comic Con coming up in the next few weeks. What can we expect from you there? You can expect to uh, see more of me than anybody could possibly want. I'm a consultant for the convention this year, and I've been helping them out a lot with planning and putting together panels. So um, I will be uh, moderating a panel of writers that I'm putting together right now. Uh, It should include uh, Jam DeMattis and Tom DeFalco, other uh, hotshot writers from uh, a variety of years. Uh, so I'll be moderating that. I'm also helping organize a panel that Peter Sanderson is moderating called Marvel 1958 to 1968. Essentially, 58 is when Kirby came back to Marvel and he and Stan started doing those monster books that would lead to the Fantastic Four. And then in 68, because uh, Marvel was released from a restrictive distributing contract they had with DC, the, the Marvel line expanded a great deal. So I thought, you know, so since we're in a year with an eight now, you know, mm-hmm. the 2008, so I thought those, combining those two anniversaries and seeing how the company and the and the uh, comics changed over that time would be an interesting panel. And I have, for that, guys like Joe Sinnott and Dick Ayers and Gary Friedrich, possibly Jerry Robinson, who worked uh, 
a little known fact, Jerry worked, uh, Jerry, of course, was instrumental working on Batman for years, mm-hmm. but he worked uh, for Stan for uh, 10 years from 50 to 60. So you have helped me put together an artist panel. There's going to be a panel about my book, Disguised as Clark Kent, which has just come out from Continuum a few months ago, and that's the book about uh, Jews and the creation of the superhero and mm-hmm. how uh, creators of Jewish backgrounds, um, how, how their backgrounds may or may not have influenced the comics uh, uh, that they uh, created, uh, getting very well reviewed, and the many, many, many other panels uh, that that I'm either, you know, organizing or actively um, uh, moderating, and um, and I'll also have a place in Artist Alley, and I will of course be making a uh, signing at the Tomorrow's booth, and there'll be a Tomorrow's panel, by the way, with all the Tomorrow's editors who are there. It's going to be. Me and Bob McLeod and uh, John Morrow and a few other uh, surprise uh, tomorrow folks. So, if you're interested in the, in what's coming up from tomorrow, there'll be a great uh, um, PowerPoint uh, presentation. And we do our usual board build routine. It's uh, you know uh, fun is guaranteed for all. That'll be moderated by John. It will be okay. Yeah. Okay, because it says that uh, Mark is going to be on the panel too. Mark. Ebenier. Oh, does it? I didn't see that in the list. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, he uh, just blogged about it. So, oh, the tomorrow's panel. Yeah. Okay. My guess is John usually moderates his own okay. panels. He sort of likes to be the ring, the ringmaster there. And he Maybe it's got to do with the uh, the Kirby Collector, uh, with the fiftieth uh, issue of that. Oh, I think there's a panel about Kirby. Okay. But that's a different panel. That's a different panel. Okay. I'm just that's looking at Kirby. John's blog right now. Okay. That's. So. A, I mean, I don't know what's on John's blog, but there's a Kirby panel. That I think is mostly, I guess it's sort of a, maybe a dual, a dual promotional thing yeah. for Kirby 5.0 and for Mark's book. But there's just a tomorrow, what's going on at tomorrow's panel at 1 o'clock on Sunday, the 20th. You know, I'm, you know, Mark obviously is well, you know, the part of the tomorrow's family, so it would be great if he's on it. But, uh, as far, as far as I knew, you know, uh, he was not scheduled for it, but we still have two weeks till the con. So right. you know, I've been telling many of the things in the con, uh, program. Uh, will change as Subject people change, become yeah. available <laughs> and so on. So, so check, really, even even until you you know even before you like uh, you know get on the bus, subway, car, whatever to go to the con. Uh, you know, check, you know, check online to to see what the last minute surprises are going to be at the show. And uh, what else are you working on right now? I, I wanted to get that. Ah, out. okay. Well, right now, I am uh, finishing up for a penguin. Uh, the Rough Guide to Graphic Novels, you know, the Rough Guide mm-hmm. company does sort of those hipster tourist guides to uh, vacation and travel spots all over the world. They've branched into pop culture, and uh, so now they're um, they're doing, uh, I'm doing for them a guide to everything but superheroes, you know, so it's a guide uh, to the kind of the fine art or the literary graphic novel, you know, things like Mouse and Persepolis mm-hmm. and uh, Fun Home and... Uh, uh, and that kind of thing. And I'm teaching um, about graphic novels at the New School here in New York. And I've got some... Uh, and the, in the Rough Guide to Graphic Novels is a 30-page graphic novel about graphic novels, how uh, how meta can you get, uh, that's drawn by a guy named uh, Roger Langridge, and it looks great. You know, the whole book should be uh, pretty comprehensive and, uh, you know, I think good for people who are expert in that kind of graphic novels and also people who want to kind of Get the lay of the land and uh, and see what they're like. Also, well, right now number 19 is kind of that's going to be the uh, issue. The focus is on the Batman, the second Batman movie, and they should have interviews with um, um, uh, David Goyer, 
mm-hmm. and other and uh, and hopefully Michael Uslan and other people involved in the movie. Issue twenty is going to be all about the spirit movie. Oh, excellent! Uh, so, looking, uh, you know, looking to have uh, Miller and Uslan and uh, anybody else I can grab, but that'll you know, and uh, maybe some kind of Eisner retrospective, but that's the focus. And uh, I've got a bunch of different uh, graphic novel slash comic book projects, uh, whatever you want to call those things with words and pictures, you know, <laughs> out among different publishers, and some top secret stuff that I'm not at liberty to reveal, but <laughs> but I'm looking forward to, and hopefully uh, other people will be too. Well, Danny, thanks a lot for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Okay, well, thank you. I want to thank Danny Fingeroth for coming on the show again today. And that'll about wrap it up for this week's show. If you have questions or comments, please write to me. My name is Chris Marshall, and you can reach me at CollectedComicsLibrary at gmail.com. Collected Comics Library is my own podcast and website, so you can go to that at CollectedComicsLibrary.com for all your information and my podcast on trade paperbacks and graphic novels. And please come by the Tomorrow's website and blog for all the information regarding all of the Tomorrow's products that we have here at Tomorrow's.com. And if you get a chance, please leave us an iTunes review. So until next month, everybody, bye-bye.